You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick old trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. And kick old trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. And kick old trouble out the door. Kick him 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 out the door. Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You'll be able to access the podcast in the next 48 hours by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano and today I'm humbled and I'm honoured because there's an old person here who's actually been at 3CR six months longer than I've been, John Smythe. And those who may think the name is familiar, just keep listening in and you may work out what program John's been involved in. How are you, John? Good, thanks, Joe. Yeah, that's good. It, it's good to be the other side of the desk, somebody operating. They've got to worry about the levels and everything like that. I'm, uh, I'm uh, quite happy to be uh, sitting here and produced and interviewed. Yeah, well, John, look, I'm going to tell you a, a sad story. Look, I, you've been here for 44 years and I've been here for 43 years and uh, I've actually never touched a button at 3CR. I don't do my own levels, I'm sorry. I find it offensive to have to do the say, you're a greater man than I am. You've got the ABC mentality. Well, they do their own panel <laughs> operating these days because they're oh, so short-staffed, oh, aren't they? Old they? school ABC. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. I, I think you know, having to do your own panelling when you're doing a talk show is, kind of takes your mind away there, from the interview. Were, there were things that announcers on the ABC were not allowed to do and one of them was for just their own levels. Well, I can understand that. <laughs> They could fade sources in and out, yeah, but they couldn't yeah. adjust their own levels because that was the man on the other side of the glass. Well, well there were demarcation disputes. You've got to understand that different unions. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> now, now, John, what year were you born? 1944. 44. Yeah, so you're actually not well, – you're a war baby, basically. At the end of the war, yeah. Yeah, well, did, yeah. You, did your dad come back from overseas service or something? Yeah, he, he served in um, – in Palestine, mm-hmm. I have a very interesting pair of books. Uh, while he was over there, he bought a guide to Palestine, which he brought back with him. He bought another copy of that five years later, identical book, A Guide to Israel. Right, <laughs> identical. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we sort of knew. Yeah. So, and um, your father's background, was he? 
he 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 was of a, a technical bent. Uh, he ended up um, doing technical jobs. He was uh, he served some time later after the war up at Pakapunyal. He got a job as a projectionist, and after he left the army. He worked in the defence establishment out at Maribyrnong as a technical storeman. Mm. So he was he was technically interested, but no, not formally educated. Right. Was he born in Australia? Or? Yes. And his parents? Did you get any his, idea? His parents were. His father was actually born in Christchurch, but he was an Australian. Right. <laughs> his 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 father. My grandfather was a ship's engineer, and they they were allowed to take their wives with them mm-hmm. uh, on visit, and she had to be there in Christchurch with them. When um, my father, uh, my grandfather arrived, John Smythe, mm-hmm. and uh, he came back. From, he served in the Camel Corps in Cairo. I've recently found out. Came back here um, and married. Uh, Florence Hogan, and, and lived in Draper Street in um, Albert Park, mm-hmm. which is a few hundred metres from where I was born and where I'm back living after a long, long time. Oh, really? Uh, so he he had the his, his was a technical background, but on my mother's side, um, there's a lot more history around Albert Park, but my aunt, her sister, uh, was very inclined musically and so that was where I got a lot of my interest in music. Mm. So, so was, was your mother born in Australia? Or yes, she was. All, all born in Australia. Australia. I can trace the lineage back to her great-grandfather um, arriving in Melbourne in 1851. 1851, yeah. before the Gold Rushes. Yeah. I, I run out of – I run into problems with the Smythes. Uh, <clears throat> they originate – the family originates in Launceston. Now, I know where the great-grandmother lives – came from on that side, but I don't know where great-grandfather came from. He, he sort of just – Turned up in Launceston. We we haven't yet found him committing any. Um, was he a ticket of leave man? He was. Yeah, yeah I, I believe he was. Whereas yeah. his, the uh, person he married was a free settler. Free settler. Yeah. yeah. But so, the, yeah, so what were your parents' names? Just to give them their just views yeah. because they were your parents. Oh, my <laughs> my father was John Allenby Smythe, and uh, my father before him was just. Straight John Smythe. Uh, my mother was Mavis Ethel Wilson. Mm. Any brothers and sisters? Uh, I have uh, two brothers, uh, a sister-in-law, and two grandchildren. And they're still kicking. They're still kicking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got to be they're, careful at our age, you know, when you ask about relatives. So yes, the, the, the family history was that we we actually lived in my. Um, maternal grandmother's house in Nelson Road in South Melbourne. We shared it as a family with her, my maiden aunt, and um, both of the grandparents up until she died in 1952. She owned the house. 
and we were forced to uh, well it was decided by my aunt who inherited the house that they'd sell so that she could actually share some of the benefits of the house with her siblings, mm -hmm. including my family. But it meant we had to move out of um, Albert Park or South Melbourne. The, an anomaly, the front of the house is in South Melbourne, the back of the house is in Albert Park. Park. Yeah. <laughs> I assume uh, South Melbourne, Albert Park wasn't the uh, desirable real estate it is in 2021? It was a great mixture of... Uh, um, because it, there were a lot of the early workers' cottages that were being bought up by the wave of um, immigrants, particularly Greek immigrants, and there's a, a very strong Greek heritage around Albert Park. Mm, mm. But yeah, it 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 was a mixture. Yeah, that's where the so South so, yeah, so it, yeah. I'm just saying that's where the South Melbourne soccer come, club comes from. People think it's a bit strange, hmm. but obviously you've explained the background. Of the yeah. Oh, yes, we've, so I went to the – I had been going to the local school there and the local church, which is now part of the local school. Right. <laughs> um, and we moved out to Reservoir, which was a, a bit of a wasteland at that stage. The streets weren't made. And mm, mm. Uh, when I went to high school, we were in the second year of that high school. The pioneer year had gone through before. Mm. Was, was that the Peter Peter Laylor? No, this this was the Reservoir High School. Right, right. achieved some fame by being opposite the uh, the Preston Drive-in. Right. <laughs> so, what was the fame? <laughs> what you used to sneak well, into know, the, the drive-in, or what? Oh, there were there were people who worked at the drive-in. You could sit and watch them occasionally from a, a distance yeah, yeah. Um, if you yeah. rode over there. But yes, it was it was. Burwood was the first, I think Preston was the second, second so yeah. there's a sort of a notoriety in that. What, in a drive-in? Yeah, well, having a drive-in so close by, but it, it, the rest <laughs> of the place was, was quite open. You right. walked across open peels and through the thistles and down along the, uh, the Darabin uh. Creek, you know. Well, I was in Reservoir on Thursday, and I can assure you it's not quite open anymore. There's this huge oh. over, this huge bridge over the yeah, uh, yeah. railway station now. It's just extraordinary. Yeah, the really dear old Reservoir railway station. Yes. Yeah. 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 Trains in, to catch the Red Rattler into the city. Yeah. Uh, For our younger listeners, what is a Red Rattler? Red Rattler is uh, the oldest variety of carriage trains on the Metropolitan Railways in Melbourne. Originally they had swing doors and later they had sliding doors and it wasn't until about 19, late 50s that we got these modern blue trains which we saw one in the blue moon out in Reservoir. Mm. <laughs> they were for more important suburbs. Yes. Uh, yeah, Reservoir was was interesting. It was it was fairly primitive. I uh, went to high school, as I say, at Reservoir High School when it was a fairly small school. Um, I got a bicycle because I had to ride over there, and so I also picked up a job you know, delivering newspapers. How good how good was your uh, delivery arm? Oh, not too bad. You didn't break many windows. No, they weren't rolled up then. <laughs> they were they carried in the bag either yeah. side of the, your your crossbar. Right, right. Uh, one of uh, I, my my claim to fame 
was that one of the houses I delivered paper to was a residence of the comedian Joff Allen, right. who appeared regularly on Channel 9. Right, right, you know, right. Yeah, yeah. A brush with fame. Right. Margaret Roadnight just, just lived up the street from the, the milk oh. bar where my mother worked. Oh, that's interesting. In Brian did, Court. Yeah, we interviewed uh, Margaret here a number of years ago. Now, did you excel at anything in high school or did you just drift through? Uh, I... I had a, a problem in high school because I was two years younger than everybody else as I went through. I'd, I'd been pushed through primary school, and so I hit high school just after my 10th birthday. 10th birthday, grade mm-hmm. 7, and you were 10. Yeah. Didn't, they didn't understand about emotional development and menopause, uh, not menopause, <laughs> whatever in those days. Yeah, you know, adolescence. Uh, that well, it, well, it it it, it had um, an advantage and a disadvantage. It allowed me probably to focus a little more on um, academic work, and I, I got picked out as one of the people who was good at things like mathematics and science. Mm. And the other being younger, I was um, subject to a certain amount of bullying. Mm. Uh, we, across the road, was the resettlement area from places like Campbell. It was known as Little Chicago. So it could be a little rough there. Mm. Mm. But uh, did it do you any harm? Um, temporarily, yes. Right. Mm. But the... Uh, the the um, good thing was that um, later in that school, they started up a wireless club. They originally done photography. Mm-hmm. They had a, a keen photography teacher there, and I actually set up a dining room in the, as the then disused toilet in the house. Right. It became my <laughs> dark room because we were still outside the old... Um, Danny, yeah. Yeah, okay. We had visits from the... Yeah, the maggots in the tin. The and, pan. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that sort of steered me in, the, in the, the, that direction. And mm. uh, from fourth year, fourth form, year 10, in my report book, which I found the other day, oh. it says, what's my occupation I'm heading for? And it says, PMG engineer. PMG engineer. So at age 14... Right, you'd been... Pigeon doll as a PMG. I knew what you were going to do. Yeah, so so it, it sort of followed from that. So uh, what? Well, you left high school and you, be, you got an apprentice as a PMG engineer. Oh, a little more complex than that because they didn't go to uh, matriculation at Reservoir. They were too young, so I had to spend two years down at Northcote High School and rode my bike down there and back every. Uh, Every day, four and a half miles in each direction, got paid ten pounds a year for it. Mm. I was forced bright, to take it, bright boy. So, mm. so that was yeah, it, that was a developing experience yes. as well. Oh. Uh, and I got, actually got my matric technically the first year, but I was too young to go to uni. I did a second year. Friend of mine actually got the PMG cadetship, which was a good thing because at the end of the uh, year, as I was about to take up engineering, he told me that uh, he'd failed first year through having a good, good too time. good a time, <laughs> and lost his cadetship. So when I, even though I'd repeated the year, I thought my marks were not going to be that good. 
So I actually went out and got an apprenticeship at AWA. Australian what? Yeah, Australian Wireless, Amalgamated Wireless Australia. They, they, They were big. They were part of RCA America. They were part of the Marconi chain. They owned, did all the broadcasting. Mm. They mm. did overseas telecommunications. They, they were a huge conglomerate mm. um, and consumer goods and so on. Anyway, I'd, I'd, uh, I was interviewed to it. I'd been doing things like fixing, building things out of old radios and repairing girlfriends' radio sets. Mm, mm, all yeah. those things, yeah. Oh, oh well, would-be yeah. girlfriends' radio yeah. sets. <laughs> I don't think it ever really worked. But anyway, it, it turned out um, I was signed up and I'd been there about three weeks when the letter I was saying, you've passed and you've got into Melbourne uni. Engineering School, Uni Engineering School. So I, I had to think for about oh, a couple of milliseconds that's, before I decided that's, whether that's, I'd take it up. Yeah, well, that's, that's extraordinarily good because uh, in those days, universities were still, you still had to pay fees. That was before Whitlam, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I got a Commonwealth scholarship oh, for right, the yeah. first year. Yep, yep. Which was you know, the only way I would have got there. If I yeah. hadn't got the Com Scholar yeah. and gotten into Melbourne, then I'd still be, I'd have been a, an AWA technician yeah, as, yeah. as my staff. I think people forget how difficult it was for people who came yeah. from uh, backgrounds that weren't uh, well, didn't have a lot of money to actually go to university in those days. And if, it was, if it wasn't for the Commonwealth Scholarship, as yes. you said, you wouldn't get anywhere. Well, I was the first in my family. My, mm-hmm. my uncle was uh, an architect, but he did his draftsman training at RMIT, or Melbourne Tech as it then was. yeah. yeah. So I was the first to actually go to university. Yeah, because yeah, I got a Commonwealth scholarship, and if it wasn't for that, I mm. wouldn't have been out. Because my parents were basically poor farmers, and uh, if you didn't get a scholarship, you didn't go to university. Yeah. It was that simple. Yeah. yeah, and I ended up interviewing for a, a PMG cadetship, but I'd had a, I'd spent some time at the kids' hospital when they were moving, doing vacation work to get a bit of money. Mm. And the lift driver there had uh, had regular conversations, and he convinced me that it would be best to try and stay independent if I could, rather than being bonded to the Commonwealth Public Service. Mm. So we got through first year engineering, but it became apparent that for financial needs at home, they needed a contribution from me as well, a bigger contribution. So mm. I went back and got the. Uh, cadetship from yeah. the second year on. Yeah, because you needed that. You needed some type of financial. Yes, you did. It, it's it was difficult. You know. um, there, there were those who obviously were paying their own way, yeah. and then there were those who'd worked their way through. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And and yes, it was a it was a, an interesting time to be at university. Yeah, even if you had a Commonwealth scholarship, it was very difficult. I remember I used to the day I'd finish uh, university that day. Well, I mean, you know, for the year. I'd go and work in a factory. I mean, you had to work for the three months in order to raise the money to do the next nine months. Did a couple of years night sorting at the PMG? Yeah, well, there you are. Same Mm. thing. Yeah, I used to be... That was my first PMG employment. First, (laughs) But the... So engineering was really good and that was... I mean, it was exactly what I wanted Mm. to do Mm. and I was very keen about that. Um, uh, I could start to open up socially uh, as a result. Mm. <laughs> and the uh, after getting through first year, 
I then gravitated towards the theatre. The theatre. Yeah. Why the theatre? The theatre, well, I'd always had an interest in Mm. um, plays, but more a strong interest in cinema and cinema technology. But I decided that I would also like to do theatre work. I'd had a little taste of involvement in an insight into it in the first year, but I said, second year, okay, uh, let's see what I can do. And I joined the Union Theatre Technicians Guild, and they actually had a program of induction and putting together a body of students who Mm. were volunteers who would provide technical support for student productions. Mm. Mm. And so that that was a great uh, training ground as well. Uh, worked on a number of uh, aspects, uh, mainly, first of all, sound, lighting. I even did flies once. But the the, the, the experience I liked best was being follow-spot operator or dome operators, as right, they were called. Right, right. He did a flyer. And did the flies, hauling scenery in and out. Oh, that type of thing. Just yeah. because it had to be done. Had to and be done. I thought yeah. I needed to know something about yeah. it, so I did it. I think in those days, you know, technology was developing rapidly and um, you would have, it would have been quite interesting. Well, it's a little bit like 3CR there in mm. um, you, apart from your training, there were no sort of demarcation disputes. If you wanted to do something, you could. Yeah. And 3CR, you know, if you could do it, you did it. It's like, you can't be that because you're a technician. You, you've, you've got to be an announcer to do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So when did you finish your uh, studies and uh, start earning real money? <laughs> well, you haven't, you haven't earned any real money to date. I shouldn't have asked you that question because uh, you've been at 3CR for 44 years. Therefore, you uh, don't actually make well, any the, money. The, the, the grocery <laughs> bills are paid. That's yeah. fine. Um, yeah, so... Having graduated as a, an engineer, class one, I was then at the mercy of um, where I would be allocated. Of course, I wanted to stay in Melbourne, but the wisdom was, you know, the unmarried blokes go to the country. Yeah, and uh, I learnt, you know, career management in the PMG very early. I, they said there's a vacancy at Shepparton and a vacancy at Benalla, mm-hmm. and I looked at the two of them and looked at Ben and I said, "Oh, look, it's near the mountains." Uh, that could be interesting. The coax, the new coax cable goes through the technology. It's, it's yeah. all good. So I said Benalla. Yeah. I ended up in Shepparton, right? <laughs> which was actually a good thing. Yeah. Um, mm. And from somebody who had been studying advanced technology, the field engineering work was essentially poles and holes. Yeah, I spent yeah. most of my time talking to civil engineers, not electrical engineers. engineers yeah, and we yeah. got to know local governments and we got to know what yeah. how roads are made and occasionally unmade. Yeah. So, uh, so we, how we, long did you last in, in Shepparton? Four years. Four years. Yeah, I, I live about 50 kilometres from Shepparton. It grows on you. It grows mm. on you. Whereabouts? A uh, place near Rushworth. Yep. Yeah, just uh, about eight, nine k's from Rushworth up in the country there. Yeah. All right. That's, yeah, that's, that's blackjack territory. What do you mean blackjack? Blackjack McEwen. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. A good okay. old blackjack, yeah. Well, well, the, the, only, the only socialist national party, <laughs> agrarian socialist old blackjack. Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> if you really want the story, I actually was responsible for his phone service for 12 days while he was Prime Minister of Australia. Well, well tell us the story. Why not? Nobody else has got oh, that story. There are too many other stories around. But the, um, just if, if you know the Brushworth, yes. eventually I was responsible for the phone service from Wanalta uh-huh. up to Cayuga, yep. along the Murray to Boozy, yep. down to Dookie, uh-huh. and then across. Yeah, that's a fair whack of territory. I, I had a line inspector who taught me the art of low flying <laughs> to get from one end of the area to the other. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was really good because... Um, Compared to some of the technical divisions in town, you were out of the grassroots, working mm-hmm. with the people who mm-hmm. sat in the manholes and jointed the cable, or climbed mm-hmm. the poles and yep. fixed the wires. Yep. Yep. And you did all that planning and you occasionally ran into the customer as well. Right. And then he, when he came in and complained when you said you can't give him a phone service for six months. <laughs> Learned all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other... Uh, you didn't have to send emails and not deal with them. You actually forced oh, to deal with no, them face-to-face. We, we I, I got some <laughs> programming from one of the engineers because my handwriting is, is indecipherable. Yeah. So I put a typewriter on my desk. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Uh, yeah. That, that, was, that was very rogue. I was doing the, the typist out of a job, but yeah. demarcation dispute maybe. Yeah. But the other great thing of, uh, of Shepherd was that I got involved with the town hall. The new civic centre had a stage, had a good lighting installation. Um, they had a dramatic society. So started doing all the things that I'd extended that I'd learnt in university. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I finally did was I, I spent a year playing with a local jazz band. Excuse me, how did that come about? Oh, um, did you have an interest, or did you just walk yeah, in? Oh, and yeah, say, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, while at uni, I uh, worked my musically. I worked my way down from eighty-eight <laughs> strings to four. <laughs> right, <laughs> my level of incompetence. Right. But you and, did. But did you? You did find your level. That's oh yes, I, I, I had. I had an interest in music. Was classical to start with. Um, I my first experience with jazz was the music in the Goon Show. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, rock and roll came along and I decided to be literate in that. And then the jazz revival hit Melbourne in the late 50s and early 60s. And so at uni, uh, the Union Theatre, I used to do the sound for some of the jazz bands they used to have at lunchtime. And developed. I had a a good musical ear and some musical theory. So I was just sort of woodshedding away when I was up in Shepparton and... Mm. um, Ran across the local, a lot of the local jazz musicians, and uh, ended up visiting, listening to them a, a while, and then saying, "Oh, I also play bass." They got a new leader who was interested in, mm-hmm. uh, n- not afraid of having electric bass in a jazz band. Right, and so <clears throat> I was percolated in there, and and you've, never, and you've never looked back. Well. <laughs> It, it's germane to the, the 3CR history because um, I left Shepparton when I got a two-year fellowship in Coventry in the UK. Mm-hmm. That was interesting as I took my base with me and having I spent three months up in the frozen north in winter and played with a local scratch jazz band. Right. 
but picked up enough work to pay the airfare for my base no, that's, ministry. That's <laughs> not bad. Okay. Well, Tick- did, it, did it have its own seat? No, it came in the hold afterwards. Afterwards, afterwards all right. So did you take a ship across? No. No, no, you flew across. That, that was the days when Qantas introduced what they called the pace set affair for under-26s. Oh, right. And, yeah, it, and yeah. it made more sense. Normally what the, the company that, are, that offered uh, the fellowship would have offered me a, a secret, but they, I said for the same amount of money I can get there in three so, days so, instead of three weeks. So what type of fellowship was this? It, it was... Uh, the company called GEC Telecommunications, and basically it was offered to people in the customer companies to get them uh, experience from a manufacturer's point of view about mm. the development and manufacture of telecommunications equipment. Mm. So I spent two years there. Uh, I was, my strong interest was still getting back into microwave radio. Uh and I was looking forward to doing that when I got back to Australia and got a promotion, but very strangely, immediately after said, um, it wasn't in the era of microwave radio, it was the opposite in switching, but then it said, how would you like to go to Belgium for three months with another 15 months? We've got a team at the manufacturer developing our first computer-controlled telephone exchange. Sounds brilliant. What year oh, was this? This was 1971. 71. Yeah. They're talking about a computer-controlled telephone exchange. Yeah, it was the first in Australia. Mm. So mm. With that, that I had nearly two years living in um, in Antwerp, which was an interesting place to be. Uh, first of all, dealing with emerging technology. But Friday afternoon, you could jump into the car at 4 o'clock and and depending on which way you turned after you went onto the freeway, in half an hour you could be in Netherlands, yeah. in an hour you could be in France, and in an hour and a half you could be in Germany yeah, yeah. and spend the week in there. We had a tent and yeah. all that sort of thing. So so that that was good. We uh, had a three-week holiday driving down to Greece and back. Uh, as you as you did, in as those, you do, as you did, not as you, you did in those. We days. did we did Copenhagen in the weekend. Yeah, we we came back to Australia to complete the project. That was seventy three, uh, and the first the service of that exchange was at the end of seventy four. Second part was in seventy five, uh, by which time I was sort of the central office engineer who was mm. the. Expert in operation of those exchanges. Mm. Uh, But I'd come back, uh, I'd been introduced to uh, the following year in 74 to a little ritual up at Deniliquin. Right, a ritual at Deniliquin. The Deniliquin Jazz Festival. Right, in 74. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The drummer Alan Brown comes from Deniliquin. Mm. His father was the Ford dealer. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the Goldman Valley group, the Shepparton group, used to go up there and they said, why don't you come along as well? And it's sitting and give your fingers some exercise, uh, which I did. So I got back into uh, into jazz and played the odd gig there. Uh, but work was fairly busy. I'd been married over in England, mm-hmm. come back here. So we're setting up house and a family were then at that stage living in Box Hill. And um, I was thinking that, you know, can I see if I can get back into playing in a band in Melbourne? 
but the mental sum says you need to commit three nights a week. You, know, you want two gigs and you want another night for rehearsal, mm. which is fairly big. Well, it is for somebody starting a family and yeah, yeah. job. Uh... So come middle of 1976, and I see this story in the Green Guide about this community radio station that's set up mm. in Armadale. Right. That's right, Armadale. Armadale. That's the beginning. And uh, they said, oh, you know, look, um, uh, we're quite happy to... We run training courses for people who want to know about radio and the like, mm. and we do all this sort of stuff. And I said, oh, okay, I'll go in and I'll... Um, See, have a look at the place, mm. and they might be able to give me a bit more training in tape editing, right. which I'd learned a bit as part of the theatre. Mm. So I wander in, and uh, <coughs> it's an interesting radio station compared to Today. some of the, I've, the ones I've seen. Yes. Um, though some of the gear was quite familiar because it had come from uh, the... Uh, Adelaide, old Adelaide Hindmarsh Square Studios. Yeah. It, was, it was a considerable vintage, mm. but it was valves, which I knew all about. All about. <laughs> uh, and it turned out, I said, oh, you probably know more about tape editing than us. There were a couple of ABC people that didn't, you know, you know this and you yes. know that and the mm. other. Mm. So, you know, why don't you, um, you know, have a go at panel operating? No, this is a way to learn, work with these people. Yep. And I'd, so I'd started doing that and introduced the rest of the technical team and started helping out with some of the construction. Uh, they had <clears throat> a historical transmitter in the same building, and the transmitter was right next to the studio. That's right. They had to be very careful about not letting the radio signal get into the audio gear and it went up to the roof and there's a tower and about 50 feet of wire hanging there. That's right. Yeah. And, and that was it. The transmitter mm. was quite historical. Mm. It was the fire brigade transmitter first built in 1936 when the fire brigade transmitted out to vehicles mm. just above the broadcast band. And if you had a radio, you could actually listen to it. Right. Anyway, so that's where it came from. And it, it's that sort of old historical gear thing. I know where you come from. Um, and the uh, the next thing I know, um, about the start of September 76, they said, oh, well, look, we're, going, we're opening up now a bit early, a couple of hours earlier at 4 o'clock, and we're going to use that session as training session for panel operators... So why don't you be announcer? You sit up at the, the desk, and if they get into trouble, you can help them out. Ah. So I'd been doing that for a few weeks. Bevan Ramsden, the secretary, came in and said, um, "What did you think about uh, having a jazz program on at this time?" Mm -hmm. I said, "Good idea. <laughs> one 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 condition. One condition. What's that? I panel. All oh, right." <laughs> 
And that, so that's that was um, the Victorian Jazz Club had actually been involved with 3CR at the setup uh, because they advised them on setting up the Constitution, mm-hmm. but they decided to hold back to see it actually stood on its feet mm-hmm. after the launch. And yeah. a couple of months down the track, they said it had. So they said we can we'd want to do a program. Yeah. And so they bid for that slot on the Saturday afternoon between four o'clock and the next program on air was at quarter to six, which was the CICD News. Mm. Uh, And so they got that whole time slot. And the first – I went off and met Roger and uh, we had a little chat about it and he went away and wrote the script for the first program. He actually recorded the second program that morning. He didn't tell me. Right. He pre-recorded. But he wanted to be somewhere else that second Saturday but couldn't say – about it because it was um, <coughs> well. Let's not talk about it. You know, uh, we're not here. Is he still alive? Oh yes. Well, I well don't want. I, want to dis- I don't. Want, we don't want to besmirch his character. You know. Uh, anyway, he recorded with a chap called Paul White, who went off and yeah. subsequently worked for the ABC or in, in news. Mm. Anyway, so we second of four o'clock, second of October, nineteen seventy-six. The program went to air, and I've actually got on the CD. Mm. The opening announcement the of the stage on right. that day, which includes the program rundown. Right. Well, we may be able. We got Kelly here. She's uh, very well, talented. It, it's it's she there. She may be able to incorporate some of that into the program. Yeah. So at the end of the program, because this is this is historical stuff. Mm. So what was the move like to Cromwell Street? Chaotic. Chaotic. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, there's the the circum that came about because the. The owner of the, which was Community Aid Abroad, or didn't want to extend the lease to three CR. So, with about three months' notice, they had to move the whole station. Mm. They had to find a new studio and a new transmitter. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, the, if you've got the twentieth uh, anniversary CD, that's somewhere in the archives. Uh, I've they interviewed me for that, and I made the remark that that move accomplished, was accomplished with only the labour and effort that volunteers offer. Yes, yes. So the, it, it, was, it was a mammoth undertaking. But it happened. We, we got the old studio, a, a very rudimentary studio one yeah, set up there. I, very, I remember it quite before, well. And then they, before yeah. they moved the studio to from Armadale to uh, yeah. Cromwell Street and that became the main on-air studio. Yeah. But we did the first program from um, um, a roughed-up uh, Studio One. Mm. And I know <coughs> when that day is because it was the day after my first daughter was born. born. Oh, well, that's a good, good indication. Th- that was a long day because mm. of a long birth, a long- three-day birth. <laughs> right. Finally arrived at 7 o'clock. Up, yep. Went off to my brother's engagement party, mm. came back, did the shopping, then headed in to help yeah. with the finalised oh, conduction. They turned oh, off I'm that morning at 9 o'clock yeah. and we're doing test transmissions John, John, at 2 you o'clock. Could, you couldn't do that in 2021. You know, you've you no. got to be a sensitive new age father. Oh, yeah. You realise that. It's, uh, that, that's, that would have been oh, we, that we, would have, well, that would been considered to be, you know, not the right thing to do these days. We, we, <laughs> we did all right. 
Well, I'd been present at the birth, so I was given a. Well, that's the, the pretty radical. In that. Was, that is radical in those I days. Was, I was that given a leave pass. Uh, so anyway, I was the first voice heard on the new transmitter. Uh-huh. We were the first program, uh-huh. and in doing the, there's a bit of tape somewhere that Mangan Ryan recorded, uh-huh. where I fluffed, and then said, and "That was our first mistake." Take. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it it went on from there. Yeah. Um, so how's the program uh, jazz on a Saturday? How's what's happened to the characters in it, and uh, how's it changed over the years? Well, it, the program was um, it, it had uh, its object was first of all to to promote the live events of the Victorian Jazz Club. Well, overall jazz live performance of jazz in Melbourne full stop of which the principal exponent was the Victorian Jazz Club but there's also the Jazz Action Society who were more contemporary in their orientation but we were we were quite Catholic we were quite widespread in what we would cover in the program on those mm-hmm. days mm-hmm. Uh, we were keen to do interviews to document so you know, I brought interviews back from Sydney and Brisbane in that first um, in 1976. We went up to the jazz convention in Brisbane, where I also did sound for a film they were making. So I brought tons of stuff back. We thought it was very good to document uh, Australian jazz history on air, and and to introduce the people who are taking part. So we talked to. Uh, Oh, a number of people and also visitors. The the most famous was the um, Kenny Ball visited us on in 1977 in Melbourne, mm. and Roger invited one or two of the band if they would come out while the program was on air to uh, to have a chat. You know how big Studio Two was. Yes, I remember. Yes, how many did you fit in there? The seven piece Kenny Ball band. Were crammed yeah. into that studio. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dykes on Mics, I think, crowded in 18 people into a studio. Yeah. You know, so, but there must have been Studio One. They, yeah, Studio they, One. Yeah, yeah. They crowd. They, it's yeah, well, this was in yeah. Studio Two, which yeah. was, no, there yeah. was about a total of, of six square feet. Yes, that's right. Outside yeah. the desk. Yeah, I had about, I had about 15, yeah. 18 people at one stage. No, it was a real squeeze. And considering how primitive the equipment was, it was just but, extraordinary. But it was oh, – actually, the, for all its primitiveness, mm. the Studio 2 desk then, up to now, is the easiest desk, mm. the most friendly desk to operate. Yeah. It was simple, but it, it had everything in the right position, position. and mm. the controls were really good. Mm. It lacked. We, we lacked other things. You've got to remember that at that stage, mm. the technology was vinyl LPs, occasionally seventy eights, yeah. and tapes, and the odd cassette. Yeah. Yeah. Not even, um, uh, not even ca- cartridges, which no. of which no. all signs have disappeared. They're all gone. All gone. All gone. Ca- cartridges, um, walls. They've been ripped off the walls. Yeah. Ripped off the walls. Now, I'm more interested in as we move on with jazz yeah. on us. On Saturday, has it changed or is it? Well, it's 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 rather confined itself down to um, the more traditional model, as the jazz club itself has changed. 
Jasmine Saturday uh, sponsored or brought about a number of live broadcasts of Jazz in the Park, uh, broadcasts from jazz conventions. Uh, it went out. Uh, as I said, my, my job when I came in there combining music and technology, mm-hmm. I specialised in outside broadcasts. And I did most of 3CR's out pride, outside broadcasting for the first 10 years. Um, which are the other aspect yes. of my involvement mm. in terms of jazz? I was all very, always very keen to go out and record and bring stuff into the program. And so we were. Uh, the latest was when we could do our live broadcast from the Wangaratta Jazz Convention. Mm. But we'd done plenty of others. We'd broadcast from. Um, Ballarat Convention, we broadcast from the Geelong Convention. Uh, so it, it was all about being live. And uh, that was <clears throat> something that I sort of developed into a, a much broader approach. We did our first live broadcast. 3CR did its first outside broadcast while we were still at Armadale. We broadcast a, 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 an ABC support rally from the Melbourne Town Hall mm. which I had to set up remote control because I happened to be in Sydney for work at the, mm. when it went to air but it, it worked out and then we when we moved to Cromwell Street we regularised that we got lines to the program room mm. to make it easier mm. uh, when we broadcast from the regularly from Collingwood Town Hall when they have live rock music from yeah, there. I remember many of those broadcasts from yeah. Hollywood Town. Well, we, yeah, yeah. what made those possible is we, we would run a piece of wire across to the transmitter hut and use the control line <laughs> to bring the program back to the studio yeah. and, and send it out that way. Mm. Uh, so we did. We used to do lives from folk clubs, uh, from jazz clubs, the grotty old Aberdeen Hotel. Oh, we yeah. did a series of yeah. broadcasts yeah. which um, that, that, that was... Uh, we did that for about oh, five or six times because mm. a promoter had put a line in, a stereo line in, for, so they'd hoped to get three triple R broadcasting oh, there. Right. They didn't. No. <laughs> we took it up and we broadcast, I think it was a Thursday night mm. from 10 till 12. Mm. And the, the, that, that's, that's an interesting challenge because yeah, yeah. I'd get home from work, six o'clock load the car, yes. seven o'clock get to the venue and set up. Yes. Uh, and test. Yes. Then the first band would come mm-hmm. on and they do yeah. their first set. Yeah. Ten o'clock we'd broadcast their second set, yeah. change over, do the yeah. s- first set of the second band yeah. till midnight. Yeah. Then wait until they finish their second set at one o'clock. Pack it all up, disconnect it all from the PA because it all yeah. tied into the PA system. Mm-hmm. Put it in the car, drive back home, unpack it, get into bed mm. after two o'clock, and get out of bed at seven o'clock, go now, to work John, the next morning. Now, now, John, I've heard of golfing widows and I've heard of uh, fishing widows. So, was your wife a three CR widow? Uh, to a degree, yes. Uh, I mean, she, she would come along occasionally, but yes, the, the, she's less inclined to be um, mm. technically interested or in the the music and. When you're on an outside broadcast, mm. uh, you're pretty heavily involved unless the, right. the social mm. surroundings are there, then mm. you, she's a 
sitting on the sidelines doing yeah. nothing, <laughs> waiting for me to pack the car to go home. Yeah. Know? So what are your plans for uh, Jazz on a Saturday now these days? 2021, the interview's coming to a close. Have you mm. got any particular plans for the program? Well, the, where we are at the moment is we... Who's we? Who's we? Uh, the rest of the team. Mm. Roger Bilby and I started the program. It was basically our program with the first few years of help from a friend and engineering colleague, Ron Halstead, who sadly died in 2000. Um, I got uh, working, I retired from the PMG, from Telstra, mm. at the end of 2000. The motto was, third millennium time to do something different. Mm. Um, and that netted me a bit of work in New York for 2001. Roger got a bit tired of doing the program on his own and so we recruited John Truger in. And then in 2009, Jeff Tobin also joined us. So the team is now four and we it's good because we provide a very wide perspective. We each have different interests. So that, I think, is very positive for the program. So what's your interest, specific interest? My specific interest is, uh, well, I, I have a very wide view of music, but I am I probably am focused more on the, the trad jazz, the revival when I first struck it, and particularly Australian jazz and people that I knew. Mm. But it doesn't, um, it doesn't inhibit me. Right. Uh, I, and I'm quite happy. Um, what you may not know is that uh, for 12 years this millennium, I also did um, outside broadcasting recording for classical station 3MBS. So that that had always been a passion of mine of, of mm. classical music and recording. Mm. So so in terms of jazz on a Saturday, uh, we we're heading for fifty years. We 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 had our twentieth. 1,000th broadcast in 1995. We had our 2,000th broadcast in 2015. I mean, Roger, when he started, said it'd be like if we last a year, <laughs> 10 years, 25 years, or 40 years. Mm. Um, I suppose we're ambivalent about being around for 50. Both of us will be in our 80s by then. Mm. But, you know, there, there are plenty of other people who are active mm. at that time. Um, while there is an audience and while the Victorian Jazz Club is prepared to continue sponsoring it, then we will do that. I, I did actually take a, a sabbatical, several sabbaticals, over the last three, you know, two years or so. But when the, uh, the lockdown came, uh, Roger is not as technically interested as I am, mm -hmm. and he wasn't uh, set up to do recording at home. Mm -hmm. So I basically said, okay, I'll, I'm out of my sabbatical mm -hmm. and I'll take over okay. your program okay. segments and the roster. And that's the way it stayed. And Roger, I hope, will be back okay. on the roster Excellent. shortly. And otherwise, it's just as uh, we say on the web page. Yep. We do what we do broadcast good jazz, bring you news of the. Uh, What's happening around the jazz scene? Well, look, I'd be disappointed if you didn't actually reach your 50th anniversary. 
I'd be very disappointed. Can, can you put in the good word somewhere with someone to... <laughs> well, look, uh, they don't believe in me it's up there, so <laughs> I'll put in a good word. Put, put in a good word. So you, the, the, yeah, the yeah, but you've got four. You've got four. I'm sure one or mm. two of you will survive till well, the 50th anniversary. Well, we've, we've survived. Uh, mm. I think it, it's as marvellous as 3CR surviving mm. because of particularly because of very good decisions that were made at the end of Cromwell Street mm. and decide what they did here and yes. the way they set it up because yeah. we are, thanks to the wisdom of those people, then we are in such a good position we are now. And that's something that I always give mm. uh, a lot of recognition to of the people at that time who guided 3CR through that change. Difficult period. Well, John Smythe, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's actually been an honour to actually learn about the early history of 3CR and I'm pleased you're still around and I'm pleased Jazz on Saturday is still broadcasting and I hope to score an invitation if I'm still around to the, your 50th anniversary party. You'll be, if, if we're around and you're around, it's a cert. Thank you very much and thank you for sharing uh, your life and experiences with our listeners. My pleasure, Joe. If you're feeling pimply and your knees are turning blue... Listening to Jazz on a Saturday, I'm Roger Bilby, and if you're suffering from lurgy, spots before the ankles, or even a severe dose of the morning after, the best cure I can recommend is to tune to 3CR every Saturday at 4pm. I'll present Jazz on a Saturday. Join me then. Oh, that's better. Good afternoon, you're listening to 3CR Community Radio, broadcasting daily on 840 kilohertz. We'll be here until 11.30 tonight. We'll hope you stay along with us. Yes, welcome to 3CR on this fine Saturday afternoon. In a moment, we'll be opening our transmission with the first of our programs, which will become a regular on Saturday afternoons, Jazz on a Saturday. And other programs to look forward to tonight include The Concrete Gang, the program by the Builders Labourers Federation, Coffee House Radio at 6.30, Focus on Poland at 7.30, of course, the 3CR News at 8 o'clock, The Heart of Saturday Night, the program by the Electric Music Group, will be heard at 9 and the news repeat at 10, with progressive rock to take us through till close down at 11.30. The programs you'll hear today on 3CR. And now it's time to welcome to 3CR the first of a regular series of programs, Jazz on a Saturday.
about that. It's about it for this evening. Yeah. We do sincerely trust that you've enjoyed what you've heard. Don't forget that it's being recorded by 3CR Community Radio and they really need your support. Tune in as often as you can, okay? November the 3rd, don't forget that, will you? Yeah. We'd like to thank the guys of 3CR this evening because they have worked very, very hard. What about a hand for the guys of 3CR? There they are, Johnny Smart. Over there, there they are, yeah. Thanks, fellas. Great. Thank you.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.